0: Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. up to Jerusalem. Jesus took the twelve disciples aside privately and said to them on the way see we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified and on the third day he will be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mr. Langford. Uh, For those of us, again, visiting, for those of you visiting with us, again, thank you for coming to celebrate in Chandler's public profession of faith in Jesus. But I want to share something with you here at Antioch. It is a practice of ours that we preach through entire books of the Bible at a time. And so when someone asks, what preaching series are you guys in? All of our churchgoers here have been able to say for over two years... We're in Matthew. So we have been preaching through the book of Matthew verse by verse for some months now. We will take a break during Advent and teach on Advent and celebrate that together. But, but that's what we've been doing in the life of our church. And so what's been amazing to see is how the Spirit of God sort of aligns what we're at, where we're at in Matthew with what's going on in the life of our church. I wish I could say that, you know, almost two years ago, I sat down and I plotted out and I go, okay, Chandler's going to come to faith in a year, and then we're going to have his baptism on the 19th, and then this passage will line up. I can't do that. But the Spirit of God can. And so I'm thankful for how that has occurred. Um, and, and every time we enter into the baptismal waters, you know, we celebrate the fact that someone is identifying with the death of Christ, and this shows us an image of in real life, a picture of what this resurrection and burial looks like. And so in our passage today, as it fits, Jesus is telling his disciples for the third time in the book of Matthew that he will go to Calvary. And so that's what we're going to look at, it, and we're going to see how the disciples respond. And you, you might think, well, the disciples should have gotten it at this point. He's telling them for the third time, why haven't they understand? But we look at the base of the lack of their response to seem either they're just completely ignoring it or they just don't get it. And it's interesting, again, for our small group time here at Antioch, we've been studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. And this past Wednesday, we talked about death specifically and how we can become numb to it and how we can ignore it and how we don't want to look at it. And I think maybe the disciples are doing the same thing here. But today we're going to see how Jesus clearly lays out the path that he will walk and the incredible sacrifice that he has made for us. Again, I'm going to invite those who are not normally attenders here at Antioch into a process that you may not be familiar with. But each week here at Antioch, before we get into the text, we take just a moment of silence. And we do this to ready our hearts. All of us have come in here with different experiences this week, different interruptions, different um, things that are taking, uh, vying for our attention. And so when we come before the Word of God, we want to ask the Spirit of God to clear that from our eyes, to clear that from our minds. So in this moment, we're simply going to take a moment of silence and ask the Spirit of God to open our ears to hear to renew our minds and to soften our hearts to receive his word. So will you just join me in doing that now? so as we see in verse 17 it begins with while going up to jerusalem and so what we're seeing here is that we've been following jesus on his ministry journey and he has been taking different paths and going from city to city and now we see his way being taken place towards jerusalem where he will then be handed over as we hear from the chief priests and to the scribes to be crucified now his entire journey while being on earth has led up and will be leading up to this point. And again as we said this is the third time that he's mentioned this in this gospel. But look look at the rest of, of verse 17. It says Jesus took the 12, he had took them aside privately and he said to them on the way, these men that Jesus is calling to himself privately are his disciples, his most faithful followers. And you can imagine that the last thing that they want to hear is that he will be crucified. Can can you imagine if you were the protege, if you were the one who had been called to follow this leader and you have given up everything to follow him and you spent your days with him and you've been learning from him and you've been being taught by him and then you hear, oh yeah, by the way, this is how it's going to end. It's going to end in me dying. I can imagine there's some confusion. I can imagine there's some questioning. And, and we know this is true because if, if you look back in chapter 19, Peter specifically says, hey, hey, Jesus, you remember we've left everything, right? We left our house. We left our brother and our sister and our mother and our father. And we've left everything to follow you. You, you do remember this. And yet the person in this private meeting with the most followed, close disciples says, yes, but I'm going to walk to Calvary. And he explains how it's going to happen in in 18 and 19. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised. What an unimaginable story. What an unimaginable story that will soon unfold. It is incomprehensible that Jesus must walk this road down the things that he just mentioned. There's a couple things we got to remember. Specifically, one, when it comes to Jesus, this is not a mere man making these statements. This is God. We must understand that, yes, Jesus came to earth and was fully God at the same time that he was fully man. He did not leave his divinity in heaven. He brought his divinity down here to earth at the same time and still put on human flesh. And we get the best description of this. You can turn there if you want to. I'll have it on the screen if you don't. But Paul gives us the best description in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8, he tells us, he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, this is what allows us to identify with Jesus. This is what causes his life to be a ransom for ours because he, as God, put on human flesh. No other God in any other religion did this except for Jesus. All other gods and all other religions say it this way. Hey, followers, Make your life about getting to me. Do everything you can to try to get to me. But our God came down to us. And while it would have just been enough just to come down and reveal himself to us, but he didn't stop there. He not only revealed himself to us by putting on human flesh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And this death was not a quick death. This was a long and drawn-out path to Calvary. And we see here in our passage three particular words that I want to pull out and let's take a look at. Um, first one is mocked. It says he was mocked. Now for us in our Western culture, we try to hide the fact that people's words hurt us, don't we? We we say this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will not, will what? Never harm me. That's the biggest lie I think I've ever heard. Don't you agree? People's words harm you. They hurt. When people accuse you of wrongdoing, and you know you're innocent, your first instinct is to defend. Your first instinct is to try to make it right. So the fact that that words don't harm us, I just don't buy it. They do. We know people's words harm us, but they don't define us. Hear that. It's hard to hear people's words against us, but those words don't define us. So if someone says something about you, don't necessarily, whether it's true or not, you don't have to believe it to be true about yourself, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And we see Jesus mocked in so many ways. The Roman soldiers, as you read the account, they put on this robe on him, they put a crown of thorns on him to proclaim that he is king. We read how voices in the crowd are shouting at him, and as he's carried to the cross, even one of the thieves that he's hanging next to mocks him. There's a theologian that I study who's a professor at a Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. His name is Charles Quarles. He said this, he said, Jesus lived in an honor and shame culture in which many would rather die than lose their honor. And the shame of public humiliation was a fate far worse than death. See, this is one of the many ways that Jesus understands what we walk through sometimes. Because he too walked through being mocked as well. There's a second word that it says, he, he says he was flogged. This is an incredibly painful ordeal for someone to go through. So much so that many times when a criminal was sentenced to be f- being flogged before they were crucified, so many times they never made it to the crucifixion cross because the flogging was so much so that their body was not able to sustain the beating that they took. And again, humiliation, mockery, that was a part of this flogging process as well because what they did is they took a criminal and they tied him to a post in the middle of the streets, in the middle of the square, and they took a torture tool that was a whip with many different leather pieces with bone and rock and glass and shards tied to the end so that when they whipped him, it would attack his flesh. Now, some of you may be thinking, man, this is just too brutal to be speaking about on a Sunday morning. Would you dare say these things to an open room like this? Yeah. Because we need to face the reality of what our Savior went through for us. We need to understand firsthand what he went through for us. Lastly, it says he'd be crucified. Nails were driven in his hands and his feet, and he was hung in the air on a cross for all to see as his body died from suffocation because he wasn't able to pull himself up to breathe because he couldn't stand the pain of the nails. I think sometimes we just need to really sit with what Jesus humbled himself to do so that you and I Would not have to pay the price for our sins. Now we know, Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death, but instead of us having to pay that wage, our loving Father sent His Son Jesus to pay the debt for us. It was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross, it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. there's another element of his death that I think maybe we sometimes miss as well of course Jesus suffered horrific pain we know that we've just read but have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had the foreknowledge of all that he was about to walk through from the second he got here on the earth so so not only did it happen to him he knew it was gonna happen to him from the second he came to earth He was walking the road to Calvary. And part of him humbling himself for us was that he knew the price that he would pay for us. Yet he still came. He still humbled himself for us. Theologian J.C. Ryle, he summed it up this way. He said, the Lord Jesus knew from the beginning all that was before him. The treachery of Judas Iscariot, the fierce persecution of the chief priests and the scribes, the unjust judgment, the delivery to Pontius Pilate, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the cross, the hanging between two malefactors, the nails, the spear, all, all were spread before him. He saw Calvary in the distance his entire life through And yet he walked up to it calmly. Surely there was never sorrow like unto his sorrow. Or love like his love for us. Thankfully, the passage doesn't end there, does it? No, you keep reading in verse 19, and what does it say? On the third day he will be raised. Death did not win. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. Satan thought he surely had won. But the power of the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, and he is now alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Do you know what he's doing? Making intercession. That just means he's praying for you and I. Man, if that doesn't give you comfort, that the one who humbled himself and went through that pain, didn't just leave it at the cross, he rose again, and then he just didn't leave it at the resurrection. He has now ascended to the right hand of the Father, saying, Father, give them everything they need. Bless them. Lead them. Because Jesus is alive, the price for our sins have been paid. Because Jesus is alive, we no longer have to fear death, because Jesus is alive, you and I can now repent, confess, and believe, and we can come boldly, Scripture says, to the throne of grace and receive mercy. Because all the ways that Satan would lie to us and say, no, 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 your sins are too dark, you've sinned too much, the the Savior will not receive you until you, as we've read in our confession, get it right yourself, no, that's a lie from Satan, Jesus took your sin, On the cross so now the father sees you through the lens of his perfect son and because of that we can come boldly still ridden with sin still fighting sin on this side of heaven as ecclesiastes says under the sun but we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy jesus did all of this so that your sins could be cast as far as the east is from the west. He suffered for you, and through his perfect life, through his death, and through his resurrection, that is our only hope for salvation. It may seem impossible that God would do all of this so simply that you could be free. But friends, let me tell you, he did. He did this so your sins could be forgiven. As we said, so often we think we can save ourselves, right? So often we think if we'll just be good enough, if I'm just a good enough person, if I'll just do more good than bad, surely I'll be saved. But think of all the ways that Jesus humbled himself and all the things that he did. How does your good works measure up to that? It pales and good. Because of his sacrifice, we are made free. No other God from any other religion walked through what Jesus walked through. This is why we say that Jesus is the narrow gate. This is why we proclaim that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life. And he asked us in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to repent, to confess, to believe and if we do that we too will have eternal life would we consider those things this morning